And in your rap, there's a beef with another rapper. And you get real, you know, fiery about it. tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And good evening and welcome to the first broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio in 2020. I am the creator of uh, New Abolitionist Radio back in 2012. That's how long we've existed in one form or another. The different hosts we've had over the years. We even had one uh, who passed away from cancer. May she rest in peace or in power. Wow. Um, So... Uh, let me just keep this line muted, please. Um, we are not taking calls at this moment, um, so if you could please hold on. But, uh, yeah, so this is uh, New Abolitionist Radio. My name is Scotty Reed, and uh, hopefully we are relaunching New Abolitionist Radio on a weekly basis. It's just going to be an hour, and that's why we had to control the phone calls, because this will only be an hour podcast coming up at 7 o'clock. P.M. Eastern Time will be time for Awakening Radio, which is on their network as well as our network at the same same time, Black Talk Radio. So uh, we this is going to be a fast-paced program. Got a lot of information uh, to get through. And I had an ideal as I welcome on my uh, guest host for tonight, Tag. I had an ideal, Tag, that might work for you as far as, you know, all the work you do and then you're a college student and, and the things you do. To uh, that you have to deal with on a daily basis, you can't really commit. It's hard to commit to a certain time on a certain day every week. And so I was just thinking, you know, because Maxwell, uh, who's resting up right now, uh, he, he also having medical problems, like I've been having medical problems, but he's resting up and he still wants to do Maxwell Melvin's. Uh, shout out to him. He still wants to do the program. So I was like, okay, this is how we could do this. We could do alternating hosts a different guest host every week. And, of course, I'll be here to sound engineer everything. How does that sound to you, Tag, and greetings to you on these airwaves in in, uh, uh, 2020? Evening, Brother Scotty, and peace to everyone, and salute to the the family around New Abolitionist Radio and Abolitionists uh, all across the board. Uh, That sounds great to me. Uh, Ideally, you can hear me okay. Been yeah, having some technical issues. Clear. Great, yeah. great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it does sound ideal. So, Maxwell Melvin, if you're listening or you listening to the podcast later, brother, uh, no, we ain't started without you. Um, we thinking about you, and because you know Maxwell Melvin's did 20 years in prison, and he was nominated for a Grammy because he produced. Uh, album inside behind the walls with other prisoners rapping about the very stuff if you was tuned in earlier I was listening to uh, one of uh, Sincere Naquari's clips that he had sent me where he's uh, you know featuring a sermon of of, uh, Minister Farrakhan talking about rap music and private prisons and all of that and and so you know that's a good lead in to uh, the things we talk about on on this program um but since we only got an hour, we're going to get right into it because uh, if you would, Tag, um, will you tell the people about our uh, scheduled guests to come up on with about 15 minutes left in the program or broadcast about, let, let, let's say, 740, around 740, who will be joining us? Yes, absolutely. And she'll be able to continue with the intros and, and give a little bit more, uh, you know, of her, her personal background and the background of her son's case. But, uh, sis Basir, uh, has been working, you know, in the, in the struggle doing movement work and, uh, has had her own, uh, battles, uh, with incarceration and wrongful conviction. So, uh, she's a, a longstanding, uh, warrior, uh, in this abolitionist fight, and she's going to be letting us know a little bit about uh, her son's case, who's been wrongfully convicted and who's currently uh, caged outside, uh, out in Indiana. So, uh, you know, I've uh, been working with her, and uh, those that have listened to New Abolitionist Radio 
in in recent months or in the you know in the past year uh, have have heard from her and about her son's case uh, some months back when we had the uh, broadcast focused on wrongful convictions. She was one of the guests on that particular broadcast. Right, I do remember uh, the sister. So let's get right into it because time really does uh, go real fast, man, especially when you are talking about some stuff that's really important to a lot of people. So from the title, I've, I, I, I think I made an accurate title, Exploring Bernie Sanders' Plan to End Slavery Without Amending the U.S. Constitution. Now, for those who have been listening to this podcast or this li- uh, live broadcast when we do them, you know that we have all, was founded because of the 13th Amendment. Uh, that's when we launched in 2012. The 13th Amendment clearly states that uh, involuntary servitude and slavery shall be abolished except as punishment for crime. And I've always gotten high marks in school, and I'm not trying to elevate myself over, over others, but reading was one of my strong suits. And, and of course, you know, for that to be a strong suit, it, reading comprehension, you know, has to be strong as well. And when I did, when I read that, well after I had graduated high school, um, never came up. I took history in high school um, in North Carolina, um, in the state, I mean, excuse me, in Gaston County. So, you know, you have different school curriculum, so it might have been different. Uh, maybe when you went to high school, or middle school, and you took a course on U.S. history, they actually brought up the 13th Amendment and let you read it. But that was, that hasn't been my experience. That hasn't been most people's experience that I have talked to, and they've never read it. And then if they can comprehend it, that's an exception. They're saying they can't put you in voluntary servitude, which means work and force you to work, or in slavery, okay, and slavery just means they stripped you of all rights, human rights, civil rights, constitution. It don't matter. You a slave. We all know what slave means historically, and we ain't talking metaphorically, although there are different forms of slavery, okay? And so that 13th Amendment legally says that they can put you into slavery if they convict you of a crime. Thus, we have prison slavery um, uh, right after the 13th was ratified, People have heard of convict leasing, maybe. There's been books written about convict leasing, okay? That's where, again, then the black codes, and they pass these laws, and they target uh, former victims of slavery, and then put them in a prison, then lease them back out to whether the plantations that they just came off of or into a mine or on the railroad. Yes, slave labor did uh, lay railroad uh a considerable amount in this country. Uh, and so, you know, slavery still exists, and that's why this pro- program exists. And so I don't treat this subject uh, lightly. I'm, I guess I might be a hardcore abolitionist, um, but, you know, you shouldn't assume just because people are African-descended or they classify as black or, or however they claim to be, you know, descendants of victims of slavery or what what have you. Um, all of them are don't really care about modern-day slavery, as I had a Twitter interaction tag earlier um, on Twitter with one. He, you know, they be on that just cut the check. And so that's H.R. 40. We have... Um, uh, what's the name of the conversation? Reparations comes on the first and third Monday on the Black and Talk, Talk Radio Network. And they talk about H.R. 40. That's the only thing bill that's in Congress. And it does have a historic amount, over 100 co-sponsors in Congress. So that's got to go through that process. We're talking about elections that are starting to happen right now. In a couple of weeks, starting in Iowa, talking to primaries. And then in November, you got to vote against Trump. Okay, so we H.R. 40 reparations, we're not even talking about that. And so, um, but as I started to look more, uh, I guess, you know, I was seeing it for the second time and I saw something that I didn't see before, especially when you read, you know, that's why people read books several times because they might have missed something. And so, you know, um, when I looked at the marijuana legalization, which I only looked at it because he tweeted about, you know, legalizing marijuana, so I went to his platform 
to look at to look up the specifics. And then it occurred to me, Tag, that this is reparations. These are reparations. And then even more broadly today, I was thinking, you know, after uh, me and you decided to do the podcast, that that's what Medicare for All is. That's what student debt relief is. That's what, uh, um, what do you call it, College for All uh, is. Medicare for All is going to help. It's going to help the most people who need the most help. It don't matter. It, it shouldn't matter what particular skin color they may be. If they need that help, then then legally, the only way you can repair anybody is to offer that repair to everybody that, that may need it. That's how I look at those college for all go to, you know, tuition free uh, public colleges and stuff like Medicare for all. That's how I look look at those programs but this it, within the uh, marijuana legalization portion it actually it uses codified language yes it does but we all know when, when they talk about the communities and the people who have been convicted on cannabis charges in the communities most impacted by the war on drugs we know whose communities they talking about they talking first a uh, 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 black community secondly they talking hispanic latino however they identify spanish speaking americans um and and then it is poor or whites like in the area i live in you think they don't sell weed you think they don't use weed and you think they ain't getting arrested i see it in the county paper every day if i was to look at it every day but you know they make a whole they make money off of those type of mug shots so i try not to you know look at stuff but you know i i know i know what the demographics look like in my county versus uh detroit or atlanta or, and it's always going to be more black people that's been negatively uh, impacted by the drug war by anybody else. And so these specific policies offer repair. When you're talking about first letting me out of prison right now, if I'm on, we're only talking cannabis convictions. You're going to let me out of prison. Then you're going to expunge my record. And if I'm already out, of course, I'm getting my record expunged on these can- cannabis convictions. And then where the reparations come in is then I'm going to be given access to business grant, professional help, uh, educational help, all through government agencies that exist now, like the uh, Small Minority Business Administration. You know, they have all these, and and, and then they're committing, you know, billions of dollars to those programs and helping you get into the burgeoning, you know, states just legalized cannabis. And so those, and people have been arguing that the victims of the drug war should have first uh, uh, those licenses first and, and and the resources and the capital to start businesses. So, you know, it's, it's very detailed information that people take out. And I look at that as a form of reparations, just like there's different forms of slavery. There are different forms of reparations. And yes, their reparations, part of reparations can be a check. And I hope by then, by enacting for all policies now, by the time H.R. 40 comes to President Sanders' desk, which he has already said he will sign it into law, then they won't have any reparations to offer but a check. That's the strategy, the political strategy, codification, if you will, because even Mr. Neely Fuller talks about, you know, when you're in the public sphere, um, you don't want to use the R word if you have other words to describe. And so what I'm saying, uh, describe the problems that you're talking about. So it's on us to be intelligent and recognize who's going to be helped the most. But uh, for the focus of this program, we're talking slavery. And if you go bullet point by bullet point, and let me just pull up those bullet points. And why do that tag, you, you know, jump in here, give me your thoughts. On, on on what I've stated and what you've seen um, in the policy. Yeah, no no question. I mean, there's there's a lot there that you've just outlined. Uh, off top, I would speak to this question of reparations and repair, and compare it with the language of reform. I think that it's interesting that oftentimes questions of reform are framed in, in, in that way of, of the so-called criminal justice system. You know, uh, y'all uh, on this program have often discussed, you know, the 
distinctions between questions, different types of abolitionism and reform as an approach, as, as an organizing uh, structure, as, as, you know, a strategy. And so I, I do think that it's interesting to think about questions of repair uh, next to questions of reform and what are the differences there? How, how do we, how, how might we think about uh, these kinds of uh, political interventions in terms of repair and how does that connect with questions, for example, like those who are wrongfully convicted and end up in prison slavery for years, sometimes decades, and, and do end up in some instances getting some kind of, you know, remuneration for that. Right. Uh, you, you know, we could call that a, a type of individual reparations and that legally that's what it means that's what that's no how doubt. they legally define that justification to uh give you uh, those financial resources it's meant to repair compensatory no doubt you know and and so i certainly i certainly see it see it see it that way man but this is we're talking historic now tag i'm a bit older than you i just turned 53 in november so I'm a bit older older than you, not to say I have more knowledge than you, you know, because I don't know what your individual uh, uh, interests have been growing up and what you were exposed to. But with that, with, with that said, Tag, I've been following politics since I joined the military in 87. Reagan was president, and there were whispers of war about invading Panama, which one of my cousins who was in the military, too, uh, ended up on that uh, invasion in that invasion of, of Panama. And I understood something just, I don't know if it was instincts or what, made me to understand that political chatter coming through the news was these people had the power to, of life and death, especially over a person in my position as a, 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 you know, um, a slave to the U.S. Army. You know, and ain't no way the other way to put it. And I'm not using it as a metaphor because a drill sergeant, black drill sergeant told me I was the property of the United States. That's what that dog tag mean. I'm property of the United States uh, um, military, the Pentagon and, and what have you, that branch. Just like prisoners today are state property. State property under the control and, and, and you know, and of course, as we've long stated, you know, it is slavery. And so before we get to some of the repair questions that you brought up, I'm going to just hit these bullet points. Now, I made an image um, just copying his Prisoner Bill of Rights that guarantee an end of slavery. I can just summarize it like that. Now, other people might call them reforms, but I don't call it a reform. And I'll explain why, and of course, get your thoughts uh, tag on on you know whether you disagree or or you agree. But this is the first time in the history of politics that I've been uh, uh, following politics. No other president has ever uttered the phrase "prisoner bill of rights," let alone put it in writing and in a platform. A prisoner bill of rights? No, they ain't got no rights. They shouldn't have done what they did to get in there. They have no human rights. They can be raped. They can be abused. They can be forced to work because they're slaves. When you dehumanize somebody like that, you do it for a purpose, and that's to make a slave of them. You know, and then the legal status of being your property, whether you're a corporate entity like like the U.S. uh, federal government or state government, or a private prison, you know, when they reduce you to a slave, I mean, we might as well call a spade a spade. In this case, these are slaves, you know, and it's not a matter of of what they did or didn't do um, to get in there, but they're there, and these are human beings, and um, they have human rights. But let me go quickly through this, and I made an image where I bullet point where I think this ends slavery, okay? A combination of these things, if enacted, are slavery. And it's something for abolitionists to fight for, um, because he can't do it by himself. We had to, we had to put this pressure on the people we elect to represent us from the different states or districts that we're in. We had to make the phone calls and badger these people. I don't care about being polite to slavers and, and what have you. Uh, you know, I ain't saying be be rude or antagonistic to representatives, but it takes lobbying. It takes a commitment. 
It takes energy. To, you got to put energy behind abolishing slavery uh, in this country. So he says on his website, an act of prisoner bill of rights that guarantees ending solitary confinement. Solitary confinement is a form of torture and unconstitutional, plain and simple. End slavery. Check. Access to free medical care in prisons and jails, including professional and evidence-based substance abuse and trauma-informed mental health treatment. Check in slavery. And I mean, think, would these things be provided for to slaves? Had they historically or any time in this country really uh, been a... So that's that's a check mark towards ending slavery. Incarcerated trans people have access to all the health care they need. Well, I just put them under people. You know, access to free medical care in prisons and jail. But his campaign uh, identified them, I guess, as special needs. So I didn't put a check mark there because uh, as ending slavery because they fall under the access to free medical care for all, even in prison, which we, you know, when we talk Medicare for all, we're not talking about them as well, even though we have family members and read stories of people dying in prison and being murdered and killed. Be, and it's, it's terrible. Uh, access to free education, educational and vocational training. This includes ending the ban on Pell Grants, Joe Biden, for all incarcerated people without any exception. Check mark in slavery, in my opinion. Living wages and safe working conditions, including maximum work hours for all incarcerated people for their labor. That should be a big old end slavery check mark. Living wage, that means at least $15 an hour that he pushing for everybody else. Safe working conditions, have you not seen some of these videos? The brothers, I ain't seen many sisters get much video out, but the brothers in the prisons is getting them out. It's getting them out. The videos, you know, the guy down in Florida did a two year, took two years to shoot a whole two-hour documentary using... Um, what they call contraband cell phones and documented, man, horrible, horrible stuff. But the mainstream media ain't reporting it. The Miami Herald, I get, I consider them mainstream media, but they localized to that Miami uh, county and area. So, but they did publish it, at least a report on it, and, and I've shared that report. But you don't pay slaves living wages. You don't care about it. They safe have safe working conditions. Because if one lose an arm, you just bring in another. Okay? If another one get killed, then, hey, we got plenty to replace them. You don't care about their working conditions. And you definitely not going to pay a slave. The right to vote. All voting age Americans must have the right and meaningful access to vote, whether they are incarcerated or not. We we will re-enfranchise the right to vote to the millions of Americans who have had their vote taken away by a felony conviction. So that's those who are out and those who are in. All It's just simple. It's that simple. And again, if you had to, if you needed to be color-coded for your Latino agenda or your Asian American agenda or your black agenda or, or whatnot, I check the box black agenda and that's on my black agenda right there. You, Because we know that black people are disproportionately the ones most enslaved through the prison system, through these laws, especially the drug war laws. Okay, then, it, 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 and so we know slaves ain't never been given the right to vote. They were counted in a census, which comes to the next point, and, and that's the whole three-fifths, what people have said, the three-fifths of a human clause. It wasn't really three-fifths of a human. It was, it was we counting everybody in the state, but we ain't counting all, all of your slaves because it's more slaves than it is white people at times in the South. And so we only count three of them, okay? The North was like not going to let slavers use slaves to gain political seats, thus having more power to pass legislation, just more power over this system, this federal federal system. And they was like, no, okay? And the compromise was you can count three out of every five victims of slavery you got. Again, because the Northern populations at that time were much smaller. Okay, when you and even smaller today, when you look at Delaware, you look at Vermont, New Hampshire, you look at those areas and, and what have you. Now, this next point rolls right into that ending prison gerrymandering. 
Ensuring incarcerated people are counted in their communities, not where they are incarcerated. County how? You know, county how? In the U.S. Census that's going to take place in 2020. So if you know anything about that, not only do they, they take these black people, Latino people, Native American people, all disproportionately to different degrees are targeted and they make up the current prison population and those on parole and, and counted, counted as felons. But when they on the inside, uh, uh, in them cages, they are counted in the counties. Like I live in a predominantly white county. This county also has a prison in Gaston County, okay, run by the, by the state if I'm not not mistaken. I've had friends enslaved in there. I've had uh, relatives enslaved. Matter of fact, I think I had a cousin. I think he died in there. Uh, one died in there from lack of health, uh, proper health care. Okay? So, but they count them not only for apportioning political seats. That's like how many senators you got. How many representatives you got from North Carolina that's going to be representing in 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 the Senate in in the, in the uh, U.S. House of Representatives, okay. But then the census also, when they take all these tax monies and then they are ready to apportion out um, taxes because they collect taxes on everybody and where they distribute it at. If it's based on where the most people at, well, again, they can count those people. They are counting those people in prison where they're housed at, where they're enslaved at, and not the communities they were captured in. So that robs their communities and just impoverishes their communities even more. So I put a checkbox in slavery, okay? Establish an office of prisoner civil rights and civil liberties within the Department of Justice to investigate civil rights complaints from incarcerated individuals and provide independent oversight to make sure that prisoners are housed in safe and healthy environments. I, I got to put a, a check mark in slavery. Uh, protection from sexual abuse and harassment, including mandatory federal prosecution of prison staff who engage in such m misconduct. You know, we we think about, you know, uh, these films depicting, you know, how uh, African-descended women are raped, you know, on the plantation. Uh, people who are in control of their bodies just have. That goes on all the time in the United States. If you're paying attention, which is one of the reasons this, again, podcast was established to document what's in the news, what's going, going on. So definitely ain't nobody caring about protecting a slave from sexual abuse, you know, unless they trying to claim that slave for themselves. That's the only thing they're going to fight about. That ends slavery. Access to their families, including unlimited visits, phone calls, and video calls. That ain't costing the family no money. Ends slavery. Because you just don't let your slaves be have contact with people that ain't on the plantation so they can tell people that ain't on the plantation you know what's going on or ask questions about why you got this big old apple sized knot upside your noggin you know so it, it keep you know it prevents them from being able to hide injuries to uh, uh people's family members that's in prison with unlimited visits phone calls and video calls and i put in slavery now, he does, I didn't put in slavery on this one either. A determination for the most appropriate setting for people with disabilities and safe, accessible conditions for people with disabilities in prisons and jails. I mean, that should be provided for and go without saying, but I ain't give it a check mark to uh, end slavery. Tag your assessment of this prisoner bill of rights. Yeah, I, I would, again, it's, it's, a, it's an extensive plan. And I was, of course, going over this reminded of the coverage that, that y'all provided uh, with respect to the last uh, plan along these lines that Bernie Sanders uh, dropped, which was in the previous, you know, um, electoral campaign, uh, previous presidential campaign. 20, the, uh, Justice is, mm -hmm, with the Justice is Not for Sale Act. And so it was it was interesting to read through and also i don't know if you had a chance to to peep out the video of of when they were um rolling out this plan uh last august a few months back but um that too was was mad interesting there was even 
there was even, you know, um, explicit mention of the 13th Amendment and of prison slavery during that, which I certainly appreciated. But it was, uh, you know, the the dynamic of that discussion, um, I found, you know, revealing in the sense of it just helps to kind of further, it helped to further cement for me uh, exactly what you said earlier uh, as you were outlining these points, which is that it's going to be up to us. And I mean, especially if we're talking about the abolitionist community to really um, push, not only push for what uh, this plan has outlined, but to uh, push for uh, furthering uh, wh- wherever we see this plan as, defi- as deficient to make clear, you know, in the public discourse that ending slavery needs to be the top priority and that these are some steps uh, in that direction that uh, many of which are, are, are absolutely valid. So um, I, I appreciate uh, what you did here with the graphic. And um, of course, I mean, questions about free phone calls, the, the visits, uh, the conditions, uh, the, the wages. I mean, these are all critically important. And as, as the one brother who, who raised the 13th Amendment during this, uh, the unveiling um, that, I, that I seen the um, footage for back in August, as, as he was pointing out, you know, um, a lot of this overlaps with what uh, inside organizations such as Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, you know, have been advocating for. You know, so that's extremely important. Right, and then, right. Um, um, if I may interject quickly, um, mm-hmm. the 2018 prison prison strike, which we, you know, forced some mainstream outlets. And when I say we, I'm talking about social media heads. You know, how we can make stuff or stories go viral you know, on Twitter or, or share, you know, a lot on uh, Facebook. And um, so, you know, um, we helped raise their prison strike, a nationwide prison strike, all the prisoners saying on this date, we were not, what was it, August, August, whatever the date it was, August 19th, I'm not sure. It was in black August purposely, you know, giving homage to some of the old prison strike movements like Attica and, and then the Soledad brother. Um, you know, George uh, uh, Wallace, not George Wallace. What what was his name tag? George, George Jackson. Jackson. George Jackson. Uh, yeah. And, and so, you know, many of their demands, which they had a bullet point list of demands and, you know, they were right on point to lay it out simply like that. And many of those demands, I would say 70 percent of those demands end up in Sanders platform. And that's when I told them. They hear you. Certain people are hearing us. Certain people are hearing you prisoners. Or how else did this end up in this? How else did this prisoners bill of rights come for when nobody else out there talking about no rights for prisoners, but prisoners and abolitionists, if I recall, Tag. No, I, I, I feel that I think that and. If I recall correctly, it was August 21st when that started up, but pardon if, if mistaken, I would, I would want to double check on that. But, um, uh, but, but certainly, you know, these, these, uh, these calls for, for uh, abolition and, and direct uh, changes to their own conditions from, in, from the inside are getting amplified further and further, as we've seen, you know, over the years as, as these actions you know, have have ramped up, you know, we've noticed such a marked difference in even just, you know, the the kind of the corporate media's coverage. So uh, that that we, you know, it's important to to really continue to to highlight that. And I know that um, that CISPA SEER, you know, would be will be calling in uh, type soon. But I did want to just point toward a couple of things in part, you know, what you what you pointed toward with the uh, with the wages. I, I was I was uh, noting that, and of course, you know, uh, prison slavery and the question of 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 not uh, paying any wage in many instances or uh, far below minimum wage, and you know, uh, enslavement wages to um, heads on the inside is a major problem with prison slavery. And so, uh, I would like to see what specifically how living wage is being defined there, because. It's uh, it's a, it's an interesting term. I'm just I'm, I'm just, just assuming fifteen dollars an hour because in that broader 
movement. That's what they're saying is what they consider a livable wage. So, um, you know, you can ask the Sanders campaign, you know, uh, if that's why they refer to it as livable wages. But, yeah, exactly. Pin them down on a dollar amount. But I'm just assuming, you know, $15 an hour because that's federal. That's the federal minimum wage that they're shooting for. Of, of course, and that would that would be valid. But just just looking at you know over the course of all of this history of enslavement and and you know what they say about the details and how of it gets shrouded in this legalese that allows for you know wiggle room, so to speak. Uh, I you know just just constantly looking to to stay vigilant about you know how are these terms being defined, and it's not even you know it's not to call into question the sincerity of those that are rolling these plans out. It's more. There's only one. There's not. (laughs) I'm sorry, tag. There's not some, there's only one that's rolling out a plan like this. I I feel you. What I mean is, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders and whomsoever he's, he's working with on producing these plans. You know, I'd imagine he's consulting with others and, you know, in his campaign and and whatnot. But so, you know, again, just to say like, as, as we, uh, recall with, with the justice is, is not for sale act it's not only you know what words are on on the page and it's also you know the follow-through of those words and how those words are being defined and and what kind of energy is you know going is behind right. that and and you know how we're pushing for it so i just you know i that was one term that i uh you know kind of zeroed in on and, and would just have more questions about you know what represents a living wage for somebody on the inside mm-hmm. You know, and how does that compare? Is that different from a living wage? You know, for those of us on the outside. Now, and I also just, I also just saw um, that there, you know, there seemed to be, even though there was much less of it than you can expect from a plan like this in the context of, you know, uh, presidential politics. Uh, there, there was a section there that seemed to be giving a little bit, not just a little bit, giving more credence and credit to these slave patrollers and, and their, you know, so-called plight than, than, uh, than made sense to me. And so um, that was another area that I thought uh, was worth really, yeah, um, for the listeners, you know, you're getting talking, at and, and, you're talking and pushing, about pushing the, back uh, on. You're talking, uh, you're talking about the overall criminal, uh, what's the name of the plan? Justice and safety for all. You know, for the purposes of, of just focusing on prison slavery or slavery as we do, that's why I'm honed in on, you know, for the purposes of the program, uh, the Prisoner's Bill of Rights. But but you're right. Um, the other angle, the way I look at that, where he's providing for mental health treatment uh, for or people who are slavers and, and whatnot, just not some doggone uh, what do they call it? Sensitivity training or 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 colorblindness training <laughs> or whatever nonsense that they calling it these days. But um, they are the number one people who kill themselves every day. And so I mm-hmm. I, I do like his approach or the campaign's approach of setting aside funds uh, for them. Um, because they're killing themselves and they're killing other people. They're not just suicidal. Uh, lead lead the nation and 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 uh, jobs where people you know commit suicide. Um, but they also killing a lot of other people. So you got suicidal, homicidal people with guns and badges. Whereas if they was getting regular mental health treatment and all of that, you might have counselors or set up something to where you can detect that this person needs to be pulled from the street. But I don't, I don't want to hold us up. Mm-hmm. Listen, um, we had to go a little bit over Elliot to just have, have to wait. I could give about five more minutes, but it's like 640 right now. But the re- repair part, the repair part. Mm-hmm. Now, this only applies to war on drugs, uh, marijuana convictions because this is all under legalizing marijuana and so i'm gonna go through this quickly ensure that the revenue from legal marijuana is reinvested in communities hit hardest by the war on drugs especially african-american where they're named specifically and other communities of color and and that would apply to the impoverished um hispanic community native american community and therefore from there on uh with new tax sources from legal marijuana sales create a 20 billion dollar grant program within the minority business 
Development Agency to provide grants to entrepreneurs of color who contri- who continue to face discrimination and access to capital. With this revenue, we will also create a $10 billion grant program to focus on business that are at least 51% owned or controlled by those in disproportionately impacted areas of individuals who have been arrested for or convicted of marijuana offenses. Provide formerly incarcerated individuals with training and resources needed to start their own businesses and worker-owned businesses and guarantee jobs and free job training at trade schools and apprenticeship programs related to marijuana businesses in states like Vermont, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. Um, Well, he's talking about some unionized type business right there. I'm not going to get into those uh, details, but it goes on and on. Okay, all of this, we're talking reparations for the drug war here. It's not reparations for what may have happened to my ancestor or your ancestor three generations ago uh, at, after the emancipation or during the emancipation or any time before the emancipation proclamation. We're talking modern-day slavery victims today. And, and again, this is preparing... Uh, uh, trying to repair the harm that's been done to them. So that's why I call this legislation or these plans historic. Never seen them before. But, Tag, I'm going to let you take over and uh, bring on Sister Basir and let you uh, uh, conduct that portion of the program. But I do implore people to don't listen to my opinion. Go read. Go to berniesanders.com slash issues. And tonight we've been talking about legalizing marijuana, but the uh, criminal uh, um, justice and safety for all that plan, which a whole bunch of stuff that also talks about police and the police or the slave catchers in more detail. Um, um, But it has the prisoner bill of rights, which effectively practically ends prison slavery. Okay. Because uh, if you have the right to vote and if you're being paid for your work, you can't be classified as no no slave. Okay, you're incarcerated. But again, go check it out for yourselves. Tag? No doubt. Definitely appreciate uh, that. Uh, yes. Please, good evening. Am I on? Yes, yes, absolutely. I uh, can hear you and just was going to have the fundraising page up here and you know we we started with some introductions uh at the top of the hour and i spoke a little bit about you know who you who you were and and the work that you're doing currently and and have done but i just wanted to read a blurb here from from the fundraising page and uh then if if you could just elaborate and and let us know um where you're at uh any updates and any other pertinent information that you want to provide so Again, um, we're talking yeah. with we're talking with sis, Sister Basir, and uh, we're talking about uh, your son Sirajuddin. And I'm here on the yeah. page now, and uh, it says this is a call to the community to join in the fight for Sirajuddin Kadir's freedom, alongside his mother, other family, and friends. Dedicated to movement work from a young age, Sirajuddin's mother has sacrificed much. It is now our turn to stand in solidarity with her as she seeks justice for her son. Now, uh, we've we've been uh, discussing this and 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 working uh, around this. I know you, that you've been tirelessly uh, advocating for your son and and figuring yeah. toward ways, you know, to get him uh, out from under uh, this this unjust uh, scenario that, that he's found himself in. So, could you just kind of um, you know fill us in on some more of of, of those particulars and and speak on uh, what what the next uh, moves are from your perspective and how, how we all can support in those efforts? Yes. Good evening, peace to everybody, and in the struggle. Um, right now, uh, with, uh, Sarajah Dean has informed me when I last spoke with him that he's uh, working in the law, um, he's working on his case in the law library until, you know, we can obtain a lawyer for him to take on the case. Um, he's also requesting, he's trying to put a motion in to request a change of venue due to the fact that the judge that wrongfully convicted him, uh, Judge Bont Parry, who, who's, um, which is a conflict of interest because I understand they act as dual capacity as lawyer and judge in Indiana and that there has been a change to that effect. I'm not aware of it, 
but that's what I understand at this present. Uh, this judge has consistently denied any motion from the time of appeal that my son has uh, placed in his court before him. Uh, as it was Sriracha Dean's, you know, urgent desire, imminent desire to have a trial by jury, um, that was not granted to him due to the fact of the misrepresentation of the lawyer he had then, William Hawkins, who ineffectively represented my son during the time. And now with this wrongful conviction, he's trying to push forward while we're trying to bring attention to his his uh, case, he's trying to push forward to try to get uh, his case heard before a different judge. But for some reason or the other, Judge Brontari refuses to uh, follow the law in his courtroom. So it's like my son is being, you know, inadvertently kept in prison due to the fact that you have lawless lawlessness amongst those who rule over these cases here in their courtrooms. As we well know, Indiana is a very racist state. It's, a, it's also the state of the Vice President Mike Pence. So therefore, there's, uh, how can I say, there's, uh, there's definitely uh, white slavery. But his, my son, as with several other people of color, are, are nothing but brown faces in the sea of white in that type of the environment. And this case is based on racism as well as discrimination. It's been blatant from day one. And unbeknownst to my son, he did not know that these people that he were in association with were being uh, investigated by both uh, the government as well as the state. That's, I gather, the FBI as well as the state prosecutor for whatever reason. And it's unfortunate that my son got caught out there with these individuals. His only desire was to go on vacation being that he was not accorded that opportunity as he was locked up since the age of 15. Um, it appears to me that not only have they come after me with my wrongful conviction, and with, which I'm still fighting and challenging, but they've come after my family, such as my son. And anytime you take a stand against the government to challenge the wrongs that, that are imposed upon us, our people, this is the type of retaliation and retaliatory measures, can I say, that they take against us. And they generate, as you mentioned earlier, you know, income. You know, this is all part of the plan of slavery, which has never left America, all right? Uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, from all this time that we still haven't, you know, our people, that's another issue that you mentioned early, that you have some individuals that are, are disillusioned that slavery is no longer, and they're enslaved to the very system, especially even with having a job, okay, even with having a job, the very same money that you receive, you're giving it back to the government, and you're compelled to do so because you have to eat, you have to, uh, you have, to have a bill on in order to try to provide food and electricity for your family, kids to do homework, or whatever the case might be. But the fact still remains is that, you know, we have an issue here. My son, as with many who are affected, okay, by the system of slavery, that they can't get a fair trial. They can't get any justice in these courts. Another thing that you mentioned that I speak on on a regular basis, the three, we having three-fifths of a right in these courtrooms when it comes to our people. Three-fifths of a right in relation to the Magna Carta and the Constitution. So you're telling me and you're telling my child that the only way we can get any right out of this in this country is that it's only three-fifths because we're not even considered fully or wholly as a human being. So, you know, it's just with silence that, you know, as, as you know, the days go, then the days go by, and it's like been almost a year and a half going into two years that Sebastian Dean has been um, in, incarcerated and then, you know, being exposed to the racist discrimination in regards of the staff and even those that he's locked up with. There are, um, if you're all aware of already, uh, the Aryan Nation which I have some concerns because of the incident that happened in the Georgia State Prison when Sarajah Dean was incarcerated there. All right, and this was a challenge to him being Muslim. 
And it's unfortunate it ended up very badly. I could have almost lost my son. But he, you know, it was a retaliatory measure against my son overcoming their people when it got when it got violent, being that the Aryan Nation individuals they initiated the the altercation. Um I have concerns that because now, as we all know, they know how to get word to one another, whether it's through staff or whether it's through another, you know, individuals that's locked up to to try to cause harm, you know. So my, believe me, my dad and the concern of my son's health, he suffers migraines such as myself, and they had the audacity to give him, um, when we go into the health issue, uh, to give him Tylenol. Anybody who suffers migraines, no Tylenol does not remedy a migraine. And in opposed to them trying to find out what is actually wrong due to the fact that our family has history of hypertension, uh, a heart trouble, you know, diabetes, that they would at least take measures to adequately diagnose him before they render any type of medical medication. But their thing is to just give him something and get it out of the way. He was being administered um, excedrin for migraines, but then they claimed that, oh, well, he could be, uh, this could cause liver damage. All right, any medications can cause liver damage. However, the fact still remains. The proper thing would, to do, would be to diagnose him, do whatever blood, urine, whatever the case might be, and diagnose him adequately so he can be either properly medicated or take other measures with even with, with less or, 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 or the appropriate medication for a headache, you know. But Tylenol is not one of them. I've had, uh, being that I'm also part of Justice for the Welfare Incarcerated, uh, which is chaired by Sister Sharon Salam, uh, mother of Yusuf Salam, from the exonerated five. Uh, we had a brother named Moses who reached out along with myself to the chief medical officer of Indiana Department of Corrections to address why my son's medical needs were not being met. And the history that the family has that so that they know how to properly uh, diagnose him. And um, they acknowledge the letter. So far, I don't know what measures are being taken. I have to follow up with Sivaja Dean uh, when the next time he calls me. But like I said, at this point now, we're trying to raise funds to get him an attorney. Uh, the, there's a PDF, uh, you already said, uh, right, Brother Tag, that you said that you said already, <clears throat> that people can uh, read and, and um, either donate you know, what they can in order to help us for obtain a lawyer for him to really represent because right now he's doing everything he possibly can and he's really limited due to the fact of his uh, incarceration and not having uh, access to legal sources that's much needed right now, you know. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, by, by us being on the air and by us being online, and, and spreading the news of, of, of his wrongful conviction that we'll be able to get justice for my son, you know, that justice will prevail in the end and that he comes out of this alive. It's very overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. It's very, you know, it, it's heartbending, you know what I'm saying? But I'm not trying to, I'm not going to win out or... You know, I'm going to remain strong for him in hopes that, like I said, justice will be, you know, rendered. No, no question, and, and certainly appreciate that and, and the strength that that, that takes. Now, uh, we're, we're coming up uh, close to uh, the hour, and uh, as was mentioned, the, the fundraiser is linked uh, here on, on the uh, program page uh, for, for tonight's broadcast. Um, okay. Is, just, just so that we can clarify, can you just speak to this question of uh, evidence or on what basis? Because you, you gave us a lot of background at the, you know, the, the racialized context of, of where he was at, his background of incarceration and your own and questions of targeting, not only uh, behind political uh, beliefs and activity, but also 
uh, religious and spiritual uh, practice and, and, and how, how all, all of these different levels, you know, of, of targeting um, that occur, can we, you know, as well as in the oh. media, as, as you pointed toward um, that, that, you know, the coverage of, of this case and, and specifically with regard to your son has, has been uh, very much, um, you know, painting him as some sort of, uh, as some sort of criminal essentially. Right. Yeah. So can you, can you speak to on what basis, you know, did, did they have any evidence for what they're claiming um, that he did and what, what they have uh, caged him behind and, and, and um, you know, if not, what, how did they, what was the basis for this conviction? The only crime that Sarajuddin Dean is actually being charged and wrong, uh, tried and wrongly convicted based on the actions of the individuals that he was association with at the time. There's no evidence, there's no DNA evidence, there's no recording as all being alleged by the district attorney, the prosecutor for the federal as well as for the state. Uh, bio, uh, bio, his name I believe is. Uh, there's no, there's no evidence linking to my son to anything. These individuals, these 22 individuals or 21 individuals, were being investigated by the state of Indiana for whatever drug or, or relation, whatever drug affiliated uh, activities they had going on. And my son, for one. All he wanted to do was go on vacation. His only crime is being guilty by association and not knowing. There's no DNA linking to him, linking him to this attempted murder or conspiracy to commit murder. Uh, the the magazine which was planted under the seat he was sitting inside the car with has no DNA from him. He did not know that the magazine was underneath him. The woman who I understand, Cynthia Forster, who was my son out there, knowing that he wanted to go on vacation, all right, she she was caught with guns in the hotel while my son was in the Walmart with uh, Mr. Jamil Williamson. She had asked my son to go get some uh, Tylenol and a soda because she had a headache. So that's what he went out to do. She was the one that ordered the hotel room. He had no knowledge of anything. His only crime is of being in association with these individuals who he did not know were being uninvest who were being investigated at the time. Uh, by them driving around and I believe Mr. O'Bannon, <clears throat> another individual that's with uh the part of the twenty two co defendants, he was driving them around showing him the town, showing him what he, you know, how, how things go in Indiana. My son, that's the only thing, like I said, he had nothing to do with ever Mr. O'Bannon, Ms. Forster, who were my son from Georgia to Indiana. He had nothing to do with that, okay? But it's unfortunate there's no evidence tying him to any of this crime. They said that he came all the way from Georgia with Mr. Williamson to kill a government informant. What government informant? My son had no knowledge of any government informant. His only purpose was to come out there and see what opportunities may be, and that was to go on vacation, something that he was not accorded, being that he didn't have, never had a, a normal teenage life. He was locked up at 15. Thank now, you for clarifying that. And it, yeah. again, it just it just speaks to just how, how totalizing uh, an environment that they try and make this uh, carceral slavery uh, for so many of us, and so we really appreciate your uh, providing those those particulars, and you know, for continuing to advocate. Uh, just before we close out, because we're we're at the hour now, uh, is there any way that uh, has can reach you moving forward? And and we've got time for an awakening coming up right now with uh, Brother Reggie okay. and Brother Elliot. Okay, well, I, I mean, I could be reached. I, I definitely don't put the, the, my phone number, but I mean, this is a call for, you know, for action. Uh, I can be reached by email, B, in lower cases, B, S and Boy, A, S is in Sam, I is in Isaac, R is in Raspberry, R is in Raspberry again, S as in Freedom, the number one, at gmail.com. 
Um, also, 914-294-9606. Um, if folks want to know, find out anything further, they can go on the PDF. Uh, Sarajah, free Sarajah Dean and Sarajah Dean's wrongful conviction and get an idea they can also donate uh, to the PayPal at paypal.me dot com. No doubt. Thank you. And that's, again, that's posted on the program page. Appreciate it, Brother Scotty. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to get, you know, in far as what I was involved with, but we can always say that if it's okay with y'all, we can always say that for another time. Most certainly, you can come back in uh, uh, schedule uh, for another time. Um, certainly, Tag can arrange that. So, again, we want to thank everyone for joining us on this first broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio well, in the year 2020. And the goal is to end slavery. And slavery does come in many forms. Um, I came to that mm. re- realization, but we focus specifically on prison slavery because it's life or death uh, and death situation, literally. Slavery is slavery, and and I can't live in a society that allows that to go on. So uh, we plan to broadcast or put out a pre-recorded podcast going forward at six o'clock p.m. Eastern time uh, on Sundays. All right, peace and blessings to everybody. Y'all be safe out there. Stay tuned for Brother Elliot and time for an awakening. Jails in America are being privatized. Stock exchange, and you don't build a hotel unless you expect occupancy. So, when they're building prisons, they want to build them, but they're building them for you. I look around this room and I see nothing but untapped potential. You have potential, you have, but now. They've got to create a culture in the community that lends to violence, crime, drugs, guns, prostitution, and it's a steady pipeline to prison.